Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Wednesday to you. Thank you for listening to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. It is official, by the way. As of next Monday, this show can be heard fresh first in the 9 to 10 a.m. hour on America One Radio and at americaoneradio.com. Whenever you listen to it via podcast, it's completely up to you. It will first air, however, 9 to 10 a.m. It will re-air 5 to 6 p.m. here on America One Radio and americaoneradio.com. Those of you who are used to listening in the 5 to 6 p.m. hour, no big deal. It will air then as well. However, if you want to catch it first, beginning Monday, you can catch the show weekdays, 9 to 10 a.m. How this relates to when I post it to the podcast? Mm, good question. Um, probably going to hold on to it until after it's aired both times, so that really won't change. And the reason I'm going to do that is because something may happen. There may be news that breaks during the day, and I'll have a few minutes, hopefully, to pull myself away from my work, residential realtor, to come in and make an addendum or, or an addition or an edit or something along those lines and then repurpose the show so that when it airs 5 to 6 p.m., you don't get what is a dated show. And for those of you who podcast, you won't get uh, an overly dated podcast. Okay, cool. Anyway, that will start Monday here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. The uh, show will air first in the 9 to 10 a.m. hour. And by the way, I was having a conversation earlier this afternoon with... America One Radio President Jeremy Brasile. Some additions to that station include Mike Malloy. Some of you may know him from his days on WSBAM, also WLSAM in Chicago. Uh, he, with a background at CNN as well, he is a fantastic listen. You can catch him weeknights at 9 p.m. on America One Radio, uh, the America One Radio app, and AmericaOneRadio.com. And also Nicole Sandler, the Nicole Sandler Show airing on America One Radio. I did not write down exactly what time she airs, but yeah, the, the complete lineup can be there for you at AmericaOneRadio.com. A little bit later in the show, I will dive into the whole Taylor Swift v. MAGA movement. Not that she's declared war on them. No, no it's quite the opposite. And just how quirky weird this is all getting to be. The pearl clutchery, the premature Pearl Clutchery at that, we'll discuss in just a little bit. It's been a couple of days since I've actually been on the air here. I uh, took a little time off yesterday, just sort of clearing the cobwebs a little bit, been burning the candle at both ends with work and personal stuff and the show itself. And I actually worked a little bit ahead and had my Rua Roman interview done on Saturday. So it kind of gave me a couple of days to just kind of chill out. That being said, because the General Assembly's in session and because Trump v. Fulton County is running full steam ahead, there's plenty to catch up on. Uh, Let's get the latest this yesterday from Wolf Blitzer at CNN. All right, there's breaking news out of Georgia right now related to allegations of an affair between Donald Trump's special prosecutor in Georgia and the Fulton County District Attorney. CNN's chief legal affairs correspondent, Paula Reed, is working the story for us. Paula, what can you tell us? 
So, well, Nathan Wade is the special prosecutor appointed to oversee the sprawling election interference case down in Georgia. And former President Trump and two of his co-defendants in that case have accused Wade of having an inappropriate relationship with the district attorney, Fonnie Willis. Of course, her office uh, is the one that has brought this case. She appointed Wade. And they've also alleged that Wade used his own money to take Willis on lavish vacations. Now, Wade and Willis have not publicly responded to these allegations, and much of the evidence to support these allegations has surfaced during his divorce proceedings. And tomorrow, he was scheduled to have a hearing in that divorce where he was expected to take the stand and possibly be asked about these allegations. Now, remember, that was from yesterday so that was actually that testimony was supposed to happen today except but he and his estranged wife have come to a, a settlement to resolve the issues between them and not have to have this hearing so he will not take the stand tomorrow he will not have to face the questions about this inappropriate relationship but he and willis have until the end of the week to respond to the judge overseeing the criminal case who now has to decide if the office or either one of them should be disqualified Oh, my God, the deep state has gotten to Nathan Wade's estranged wife. <laughs> oh, man. Actually, this is kind of a, a bullet dodged for Fonnie Willis. I, and listen, maybe not. I mean, I, I still want to go in with the mindset. This is all allegations, nothing based in fact. However, the bank records really look bad. It's it, The optics are terrible. The thing to keep in mind when we hear these allegations coming out of the Trump camp is that if there are these affairs or romantic situations happening or there is some sort of inappropriate, in whomever's eyes, relationship between the special prosecutor, who, by the way, is just a contract employee for Fulton County, and the Fulton County District Attorney who employed him as a special prosecutor, if there is something going on between the two of them, it doesn't negatively benefit the fact that they're on the same side the case that they're adjudicating, right? It doesn't negatively affect, that's what I want to say, negatively affect the targets of the prosecution. The fact that they have something going on, that shoes may be getting taken off and footsies being played under the table, under the desk, whatever, allegedly, None of that has a negative effect on the defendants. If, if they were on opposite sides, if it were found out, for example, that the district attorney were having an affair with one of the defendant's attorneys, oh, well, I mean, then you've got something. Then you have something. That's salacious. But Fonnie and Nathan Wade are on the same side here. As inappropriate as this may look, this is just one of these scenarios uh, where our focus, all of us, myself included, I'm freely admitting this had my attention. This was something that I reacted to viscerally and say, these are bad. Op they are. They're bad optics. No matter. They're bad optics. But when it comes to the case themselves, all the cases that the Trump defendants are fighting here, when it comes to those cases this doesn't have a negative impact. In fact, if anything, it could create a positive impact for them. Oh, those two are so in love, they're not going to pay attention to this fully, and we will benefit from that. 
The divorce attorney representing Joycelyn Andrews is Andrea Hastings. She tells ABC News, the divorce moves forward. We will still have a lot of work to do preparing for either settlement or trial. The way the order reads, though, the parties by and through their counsel of record have entered into a temporary agreement addressing all issues presently before the court. Then parties have further agreed that the terms and provisions of this temporary agreement shall not be filed with the court. ABC News reporting as such, the hearing originally scheduled for today canceled. So yesterday, Wolf Blitzer asked CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig what sort of effect this order has on the Fulton County Trump case. Well, Wolf, it's a temporary reprieve for the DA and for Nathan Wade. It means that Mr. Wade will not have to testify at his own divorce proceeding tomorrow. But it really doesn't do anything to undercut the core allegations made here by Donald Trump and some of his co-defendants. Those allegations are that there's a conflict of interest, that the DA, Fonnie Willis, had some sort of improper, allegedly romantic relationship with Nathan Wade. That's yet to be determined. That she chose him for this job, even though He's underqualified. He's never tried a felony criminal case, and yet now he's in charge of this massive RICO case that he was paid exorbitantly. He's been paid over $650,000 on this case, while the other contract attorneys on the case have been paid under $100,000. And then, as Paula said, that some of that money was used to pay for personal recreation for Wade and for the DA. So none of that goes away. It just means it's going to take longer until those facts come out. There is a hearing in this case scheduled for February 15th, so it's a reprieve until then. Again, let's go back to conflict of interest. There's really no conflict of interest because they're on the same side of this case. All the other stuff would be like OJ <laughs> going to trial for the murder of his ex-wife and her lover and saying, well, regardless of whatever evidence you have of me maybe doing what you allege that I did, did you know the cop that came to handcuff me ran over a dog on the way here? And that has any bearing on the outcome of your case? How exactly? Now, look, she's not out of the woods yet. We talked earlier this week about how there's now a new Georgia Senate panel with subpoena power to start looking into any district attorney that they might want to investigate. Don't know who they might have in mind here recently, but that is a new revelation. And then Bill Rankin filed this away about 1 o'clock this afternoon at the AJC. We'll have it in the show notes at ronshowetl.com. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis and Special Prosecutor Nathan Waite have been subpoenaed to testify at a February 15th hearing involving motions to disqualify them from the election interference case, according to a lawsuit filed Tuesday. The lawsuit filed by the law firm of Ashley Merchant against the DA's office contends the office is intentionally withholding information sought in Open Records Act requests in advance of the upcoming hearing. The DA's office, in a recent letter that they released, said it has complied with state law. Not necessarily with the breadth and scope of the request, but with state law with regards to the Open Records Act request. Merchant represents Michael Roman, one of 15 remaining defendants. The article continues in the racketeering case that accuses former President Donald Trump of overseeing a criminal conspiracy to overturn the 2020 presidential election results in Georgia. Now, if like me, you are craving some quality reality television, and you're thinking, February 15th is so far away. Further down in this AJC article, it appears possible 
that Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade will have to testify at the February 15th hearing before Fulton Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee, although they may seek to quash Merchant's subpoena. Willis, who has yet to directly address the allegations, has been directed by Judge McAfee to file a response by Friday. So, in a couple of days, we may finally have something by way of a substantive response from the embattled district attorney about all of these salacious, air quotes, allegations. But again, as these allegations relate to the Trump v. Fulton County, I'm sorry, Trump v. State of Georgia cases, they, they don't relate. That's just it. They don't relate. The argument that there's a conflict of interest is goofy because they're on the same side. Now, if she has had an affair or they're having an affair, there are questions of impropriety that the Fulton County voter and anyone overseeing her office may have questions about the use of the money, how much he's been paid. Those could be valid questions, but again, no relation to the Trump v. State of Georgia case. All right. More in a minute. The Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. Appreciate you listening, whether it's on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever it is you podcast. If you listen at America One Radio, again, little programming note, starting Monday, February 5th, you can hear the show first at 9 a.m. And some of you may be going, well, I actually have been hearing it at 8 a.m. Okay, so let me explain real quick how that's been working. The show airs in its original form, or has been, weekdays 5 to 6 p.m. And then there's a replay at 3 a.m., and then there's another replay at 8 a.m. the next morning. So you may be listening Tuesday morning. I'm enjoying this show. It's actually Monday show. So what we're going to do now is starting Monday, there won't be a Ron show at 8 a.m. It'll start at 9 a.m. instead, and it'll be fresh, right out of the oven, like biscuits at Hardee's. Mmm. Who, by the way, could advertise on the show if they'd like to. 404-919-2725 ad agencies. So the show will be fresh, 9 a.m., 10 a.m. Like those biscuits at your local fast food establishment. I like Bojangles, too. Uh, <clears throat> and then there will be the same 5 p.m. slot for the show. It'll just be a replay of the 9 a.m. show. And if news breaks, I'll even freshen it up more often than not so that the show sounds fresh 5 to 6 p.m. It's just, you know, me sort of plotting to take over talk radio by taking two of the 24 hours available on the America One Radio. Actually, three, because there is still going to be the replay at 3 a.m. So here I am taking over my full one-eighth of the daily time slottage allotted me on America One Radio. And by the way, for those of you concerned about my income... <laughs> I am very concerned about my income. I get paid the same amount. Nothing. You don't have to worry about me pitching uh, steaks from Nebraska or gold or uh, Ponzi schemes or reverse mortgages or any of that stuff. I am, by the way, a residential realtor. I will talk to you about residential real estate if you like. Happy to do so. 404 919 2725. You can also at me at Ron Show ATL if you have questions. Uh, glad to help you. Or visit my real estate website, RonOnTheReal.com. Speaking of uh, where you're going to live, there was a report that came out last year. 
Half of renter households in the United States now spend more than 30% of their income on housing, according to a study from Harvard's Joint Center for Housing Studies. As Jennifer Ludden explained in an article for NPR, this is a record number of households that are considered cost-burdened. Again, you are considered cost-burdened if more than 30% of your monthly income goes to your rent. In the state of Georgia, the percent of households that rent hovers around 34-35%. So greater than one-third of all Georgians rent. And by the way, there was a recent study that showed that 51.5% of renters in Georgia are cost-burdened. So about a sixth, maybe a fifth, somewhere somewhere in that in that realm there, somewhere between 16 to 20% of the state not only rent, but are cost-burdened. And you're saying to yourself, Ron, where are you going with this? Hang on. It gets back to politics. Well, I saw this article James Salzer filed at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that said Republican legislators are looking at ways to cut property tax increases. Okay, I mean, I again, residential realtor, I completely understand where tax assessments and property tax increases can really hammer the household income. Let me read to you some of this, though, and I'll start picking apart the stuff that I disagree on. Uh, key Senate panel expected to move soon to slow the rate of property tax hikes, especially prevalent in Metro Atlanta, by backing legislation to limit how much home assessments can go up to 3% a year. The move comes less than a week after House Speaker John Burns uh, announced legislation to double the standard state homestead exemption on property from $2,000 to $4,000 a year, a measure he said could cut property taxes by $100 million a year. I don't, I, I have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. Homestead exemption, okay? That means that is uh, an exemption that anyone who owns the home that they live in enjoys. Fully on board with that. That doesn't affect landlords and the property they're renting out. That affects people who own the home, condo, townhome, mobile home, and property that they live in and on with an additional or a doubling of the state's homestead exemption. Okay? This is good. Honestly, when you have a $16 billion surplus, what's $100 million, right? It's the cap on the assessments that kind of makes me pause just a little bit. Further down in the article, Salzer writes, at least 39 Georgia counties, 35 cities, and 27 school systems have adopted local measures limiting how much assessed values can rise. Some of them only benefit homeowners 65 or older. He writes, a 3% cap on assessment increases could mean local governments and schools would have to raise tax rates because there's going to be an income loss there. But some lawmakers say at least that would make the process more transparent to homeowners, many of whom don't understand why their home is valued at what it is. And you know what? To that end, maybe it gets folks a little bit more involved in showing up to vote for their civic and uh, or municipal and county elections, even if there isn't a presidential choice at the top of the ticket. What I don't see in the language of this article, and I bet you if I went to read the bill, I probably wouldn't see it either, is, is there going to be a similar cap on rent increases? There is currently no cap on 
the amount that landlords can increase rent prices in the state of Georgia. So tenants could still see an increase in rent that has absolutely no bearing on property taxes because now the assessed value could be capped at 3%, but the rent could go up 5, 7, 10%. What whatever the landlord decides is what they can get for that unit, right? Meanwhile, that tenant would be paying more in local sales taxes because that municipality, that county, that school system has to make up for the money they're not making in the assessed value increases somewhere else. That, kids, is what we call a regressive tax. A tax more burdensome on those at the lower end of the wealth chart. I know this is all boring stuff. You don't want to pay attention to this stuff. And, and the General Assembly can be really mundane and boring, and there's a lot of whereas and here-tos and all. You got to pay attention to this stuff, y'all. You got to talk to your state representative, your state senator. And keep in mind, they're also looking to take money from school systems now to fund private school vouchers, which don't help a poor family if they don't cover full tuition, as well as a little extra for the money that is needed for the gas tank, because now mom and dad have to drive the kid to the school instead of the public school busing getting them there. John Q. Taxpayer, do I have your attention yet? More on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This, this. is The Ron Show on America One Radio. <laughs> I almost can't believe that I'm even going to have this conversation. But the outrage over Taylor Swift in political circles is baffling. I'm not even going to lie. There are those who have bristled at her even being seen in a football stadium where her boyfriend is playing. Even though, they've done countless studies on this, by the way, she has been seen for mere seconds, a collection of maybe 44 seconds in a three-hour football game. Uh, in some cases, what did they, they determined that she was actually given less airtime and not asking for it. She's just going to the game to watch her boyfriend and her team play. She was given less airtime than the making of crab cakes in Baltimore last weekend in the city where her boyfriend's team played the hometown Baltimore Ravens. Well, did you hear any outrage or see any outrage on social media from people who don't like crab cakes about crab cakes being rammed in their faces, jammed down their throats? I'm allergic to crab cakes. This is an outrage. No, of course not. So, fellas, what is it? Baby, is you okay? This is, this ain't good. This is tough to see you so upset about this. Never mind the fact that, and listen, I'm a media guy. I come from a media background. I am cynical to this sort of stuff. Ratings, TV ratings for Kansas City Chiefs games. That is the team that her boyfriend plays for. Ratings for Kansas City Chiefs games when they are the primetime game or the late afternoon. Whenever, whenever Taylor is going to be in the building, the ratings are better. The NFL has to love this. You know they do. Sales of Kansas City Chiefs merchandise have gone up just because Taylor Swift dates somebody on the team. And for some reason, right-wingers have lost their shit. 
They've lost their minds about this. So detached from reality that it's bad enough that everything that doesn't go their way that they wish is somehow rigged or a conspiracy. Hello, the big lie. Not so silent, not so majority. Can't accept when things don't go their way. And then they question things like Vivek Ramaswamy uh, just a couple of days ago tweeting, well, I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month. And I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially culturally propped up couple this fall. Just some wild speculation over here. Let's see how it ages over the next eight months. Vivek is a lot of things, but he's clearly not a sports ball fan. I mean, yeah, he's done shirtless tennis videos, but has he ever, I don't know, put a shirt on, sat down and watched a football game? Because clearly the Kansas City Chiefs didn't have anything rigged their way when they defeated the Baltimore Ravens last weekend. Because I can guarantee you there were no Democratic Party ops going to Lamar Jackson on the sideline or in the locker room before the game, slipping him some money and going, hey, look, I know you got a lot riding on this professionally, but we really need Joe Biden to get reelected. So if you could do me a favor and turn the ball over at some key moments in the second half, despite the fact that your team will be busting their ass and holding Kansas City scoreless in the second half to give you that opportunity. Yeah, we'd appreciate that. Oh, but wait, there's more. First up, Eric Bowling on Newsmax. And although neither the NFL nor Travis Kelsey really needs Taylor around, apparently the Democrats do, because make no mistake about it, Taylor Swift is clearly a tool. Charlie, I don't trust black pilots. Kirk, up next. Taylor Swift is going to come out in the presidential election, and she's going to mobilize her Fans and some hard hitting journalism from Jesse Waters on Fox News. So, is Swift a front for a covert political agenda? Primetime obviously has no evidence. If we did, we'd share it. But we're curious because the pop star who endorsed Biden is urging millions of her followers to vote. And there's the problem. Jennifer Saki at MSNBC lays it out like this The theory goes like this that they're all talking about. Taylor's popularity is being propped up and wielded by the powers that be mm. in order to unleash her fans as Democratic voters and hand Joe Biden the 2024 presidential election, if it only worked that way. First off, yes, let's all acknowledge, Taylor Swift absolutely has unbelievable influence, just ask my eight-year-old, mm. as one of the biggest stars on the planet. And I mean, why wouldn't Joe Biden want her endorsement? But where folks on the right make it super, super weird is by painting this as some sort of intricate, deep, dark conspiracy. But let's go back to what Jesse Waters on Fox News said, because that's what I want to hone in on real quick. Because the pop star who endorsed Biden is urging millions of her followers to vote. That's not good, y'all. Republicans have never been fond of high voter turnout. Let's be honest. They just haven't. And if Taylor Swift commandeers her several millions of fans to show up and vote again, as she did in 2018 and 2020, to do so again in 2024, and it somehow affects Donald Trump's electoral odds. At what point... In fact, we've already seen this. No, we've already seen this. 
remember there's been talk after the 2022 election cycle about maybe we need to raise the voting age because I guess the presumption is Taylor Swift's fans are all under the age of 21, maybe? I mean, that's not true, but it's a theory. I believe a young voter actually asked, I'm sorry, a young reporter asked Vivek Ramaswamy about representing younger generations if he's going to raise the voting age he proposed to 25. As a next generation candidate, what are you going to do to represent the next generation if you're going to raise the voting age to 25? Well, I think that what I've said is every high school senior who graduates from high school should be able to pass the same civics test that every immigrant has to pass in order to become a citizen of this country. I don't think that's too much to ask. And I think that many high school students, I hope, will be more engaged in politics. I want young people not to be less engaged, but to be more engaged. 60 percent, there was actually a, a well-conducted survey on this, 60 percent of young Americans said they would sooner give up their right to vote than to give up their access to TikTok. That's a problem, but I don't blame young people for that. I blame my generation and the generation that came before me. We have to say, this is what it means to be an American. This is what we're running to. Young people, I think, will care more about this country if we all have more skin in the game. And I think it's my responsibility, frankly, as the youngest person ever to be president, even when I'm elected. That's what I'll be. It won't happen. To reach the next generation. And I think it's going to take a leader from that different generation. Here's the problem with what he's suggesting. We already settled that stuff. And by the way, as a soon-to-be 50-year-old American male who got well past high school and got some college behind him, even took some American... Listen, you could devise uh, an American citizenship test that just about anyone of any age in this country outside of an American history professor would fail. Including, by the way, the Fox News audience that routinely finds itself less informed than people who don't watch the news at all. Careful what you wish for there, Vivek. And, and speaking of not being up on American history, Vivek, hello, the American Civil Rights Movement, the 1950s and 60s, we dealt with that sort of litmus test long, long ago. I mean, to his credit, he's not just going to levy that litmus test to voters of color. No, he's going to insist that it only occur... To young voters, voters that overwhelmingly don't vote for conservative politicians. Hey, good news, though. Sean Hannity, the arbitrator of all things fact-based, has a theory about Taylor Swift and her grasp, and in turn, of course, her fans' grasps, of what's factual about politics here. Or maybe she just bought into all the lies about conservatives and Republicans, that they're racist and sexist and homophobic and xenophobic and transphobic and Islamophobic, that Republicans and conservatives want dirty air and water and a total ban on all abortion with no exceptions. If she believes all that, she is believing a lie because those talking points are simply untrue. Now, I'm just saying maybe she wants to think twice before making a decision about 2024. What is the concern about Taylor Swift, though? I, I just don't get it. It's it, there, There's no issue with Roseanne Barr, actress, uh, comedian, Jim Caviezel, actor Michael Capone, Lauren Fox, Kelsey Grammer, Randy Quaid. No question about Randy Quaid. We think that guy's sane. Hmm. Kevin Sorbo, Antonio Sabato Jr. Oh, not Antonio Sabato Jr. Man, he was hot back in the day. John Voight, why is there no concern about actor John Voight and, and his sway? All of those actors and actresses, by the way, having endorsed Donald Trump for president in 2024. Uh, there's no questions for Azalea Banks. 
or Waka Flocka Flame. Ted Nugent, he can get his army. Kid Rock can get his army to go vote. Someone named Chief Keefe. We we don't have any concerns. Eric Bowling or Sean Hannity uh, about any of those folks endorsing Donald Trump. See, that's the thing. Abortion is on the ballot this election cycle. Republicans already know they're behind the eight ball when it comes to suburban white women. And you know who fills stadia and arena to watch Taylor Swift perform? Gay, I mean, suburban white women and gay men. Y'all, that's what this is all about. Republicans already know that abortion is not an issue that favors them. They have taken it on the chin. They have racked up the L's since the Dobbs decision. They've also been racking up the L's since Donald Trump was sworn into the Oval Office, but that's another matter. They know that they are in trouble with suburban white women in every state, and they know that Taylor's about to activate them. She's going to flip the switch, and all of the fembots... <laughs> All of the Stepford housewives are going to meep, 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 must go vote for Donald Trump's opponent. Yeah, that's what they fear. That's what this is all about. And listen, for the rest of us, for the rest of y'all, I, I just got to say, dudes, you, you got to hush. You, you got to hush about this. Uh, she's interrupting my football game business because it's absolute cow patay. Colin Coward actually had a fantastic take on this that I want to share with you. Think about Taylor Swift. I just want to watch football. Liar. You're lying. A football telecast is not just football. In fact, the commercials for four hours before the Super Bowl will be widely watched. Mm -hmm. Listen to this. The New York Times measured how long she was actually on the broadcast. Do you know how long it is on average? 25 seconds. In three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Against the Ravens, it was up to a whopping 32 seconds. It was 14 Chiefs and Raiders on Christmas. 12 Chiefs and Bengals. Uh, 24 seconds, Buffalo, Kansas City. She was on for a minute against the Dolphins, but it was an absolutely awful broadcast. They should have had a concert in the middle of it. That would have been more interesting. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Drake on everything. Yep. Spike Lee, Knicks games, mm. 80s, 90s, Jack Nicholson, Laker games. It's cool. Saw Jack. But a talented and beautiful woman is on the air, one who would never pay attention to lonely men, and it bothers them. And there you have it. You know, I remember this in the 90s when uh, Ted Turner, who used to own the Atlanta Braves, uh, was dating Jane Fonda, who is not popular with conservatives. And... Anytime the two of them were at a Braves playoff game or World Series, the network would pan to show the Braves team owner and his girlfriend, Jane Fonda. Oh, my gosh. Y'all, we didn't have social media back then, but oh, my, the water cooler talk, y'all. Ooh, the nastiness you would hear about her. Oh, my gosh. It's happening all over again, though. And I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, Jane Fonda in the 1990s is equal to Taylor Swift now, especially on the hot or not scale. And I'm not saying, look, Jane Fonda's holding up really well for someone her age. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying that Colin's kind of on to something here. 
And, and and dude, here's the thing. And I'm saying dude because this this is to the NFL football fan that I'm trying to reach out to here. You are making a bunch of noise about a consensual relationship between a star athlete and a pop star who clearly, if they don't love each other, I think they do, they clearly very much like each other. And hasn't the NFL dealt with enough teeth gnashing bad publicity when it comes to domestic violence with their athletes and their significant others? My God, your daughter's watching, literally watching. Not just her, but you. Act like it. It's just funny that as this election cycle grinds to the final 10 months, the things that Democrats worry about, oh, losing support amongst suburban white women. Well, let a Republican fix that for you. Oh, my gosh, they're losing support amongst uh, black voters. Uh, let Nikki Haley see a few, say a few things that'll bring folks back home. You know what I'm saying? Oh, the border crisis looks really bad. Oh, gosh. Well, okay, so Biden and Democrats actually met with some Republicans, and they've crafted some legislation to address that, as well as trying to deal with root causation, which I've spoken about heavily in the last few weeks. And House Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene, at the behest of one Donald Trump, go, whoa, 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 we can actually fix this problem before Donald Trump's elected. We need it for him to get elected. We'll discuss more on that when the Rancher returns here in minutes on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back. Final segment of the Ron Show. And I thank you for listening. It's funny. The Republicans pride themselves on being the law and order party. Except when they want to ignore laws, local, state, federal, international, when it doesn't suit them to adhere to said laws. I bring that up because we're at this loggerhead, this crossroads where... The president, along with Senate Democrats and even some Senate Republicans, have crafted legislation to deal with the presumed crisis at the southern border. The House, which is the one chamber of Congress that the Republicans control, won't even bring that bill up for a vote. Not going to do it. It would pass. It would. No, it would. I know it would. It would pass. See, the GOP has such a slim margin in the House that it only takes like, what, six or seven to peel off to get something passed in the House. And it would pass in the House because there are Republicans in Biden-leaning districts. There are border districts that have some Republican representation whose voters would be like, uh, you had a chance to vote on this and you voted against measures to curb Migration to our southern border? Yeah. See, Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, doesn't want to bring this up to a vote in the House because the dirty little secret is he knows it would pass. The other dirty little secret, and it's actually not so a secret, Donald Trump has told folks in the GOP, don't pass that bill because he needs it to run for re-election. Uh, Representative Troy Nels uh, was cornered in uh, Washington on the street. A Rolling Stone reporter asking this question. Representative, what have you done to fix our broken immigration system? Okay, let's get this straight now. If this is going to be on Rolling Stone, let's put it out there. Congress doesn't have to do anything to secure our southern border and fix it. Joe Biden, you destroyed it. You can fix it on your own through executive order. You dishonest media people, the greatest threat to our country. 
The border can be fixed by Joe Biden, but he doesn't want to fix the border. Joe Biden's getting whispered. They're calling Joe Biden and say, hey, boss, guess what? Your approval rating's at 33%. It's in the toilet. And if you don't do something about security, the American people are paying attention to the southern border. If you don't get some type of border security bill done here, you're done. You're done. Now, why would I help Joe Biden improve his dismal 33% when he can fix the border security on his own? He can do it on his own through executive order. Donald Trump, the greatest president of my lifetime, he did it. We had Paul Ryan. He was the speaker. What did he do? Very little. We had both chambers. Did very, very little. Donald Trump did it all on his own. So this bipartisan border security bill is not border security. Representative, there is a problem in that this administration chooses not to ignore international law by just creating executive order edicts that fly in the face of said law. It requires legislation in order to set some sort of domestic policy in place to deal with the crisis at our southern border. Trey Crowder, the redneck comedian, has, of course, his spin on things. Recently in GOP land, they realized that their election strategy of bitching about how bad the economy was was being undermined by how not bad the economy was, and they needed to pivot. Is that xenophobia's music I hear? That's right. You know you know what time it is. It's time to head down there to the border, dress up like a cowboy, start throwing up razor wire and calling the most desperate people on earth terrorists. Y'all know. Border's getting wild. Texas is refusing to yield to the government's authority down there. Texas says, our federal government ain't got no right to tell a state what to do. It's like, ah, yes, if only there was something from our history which very explicitly and violently clarified that exact point. Yeah, sorry, buddy, but I think Honest Abe and them done and answered that question a while ago. But Abbott's not alone. He's got 26 dumb, dumb govs with him, Republican governors who stood with Texas and said, we also like Confederacy stuff. It's getting wild. And I say, according to Republicans, the crisis on our border is of an existential magnitude, and Biden and the Dems won't do anything to fix it. That's what they say. So recently, some of the Republican colleagues came into the office and said to leadership, hey, you know how we're always saying Biden and the Dems won't fix the border? Yeah, damn straight. Right, well, good news. We worked with Biden and the Dems to author a bill which would fix the border. Isn't that great? You did what? Mm Mm-hmm. What are you, stupid? Mm. Who is this guy? Why would you? You worked with the damn dude. That's rule number one. You never work with the damn. No, I know. I know. But I only worked with them to fix this problem that we have for the American people. Yeah, that part's even worse, man. Fix the problem. What are you, Antifa? We, we don't fix. If we fix things, then we wouldn't have anything to bitch about. And then who would vote for us? Huh? Use your head, man. Mm-hmm. That's how they responded. All right. But that's not all. At the same time that was happening, they also were filing articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas for you guessed it, not securing the border. Right. So that means Republicans in Congress came in and with a straight face, they said, all right, two things on the agenda today. Number one, we got to impeach Mayorkas for not securing the border. Number two, maybe more important, we got to make damn sure and kill that bill that would secure the border. And why are they doing this? You know, because Daddy Donnie said so. That's right. Trump came down and said, don't you dare fix the border. I need that for the election. These people are telling you the truth about themselves, which is they need things to be bad in this country. When things are bad for us, that's good for them. They succeed when America fails. And considering that, what else is there to say? And really, this kind of goes back to something that I think is an overarching theme in our American political process right now. Did I just do that with my R? Been hanging out with Ludwig too much. Uh, No, he would disagree. And I would too. Uh, No, the, the theme being that one party wants to govern, but they understand that it takes compromise, that you have to sit down with the other side and hammer out compromise deals. And then the other side just wants to sit across the table and 
have a food fight. They don't want to negotiate. They want things their way or not at all. And now they're getting a lot of things with this border bill their way. And they're all, well, we don't want it now. This isn't good for us. This is an inconvenient time because we've got to get this self-absorbed insurrectionist anti-democratic asshat in office because he's got dirt on some of us. Looking at you, Lindsay. Clearly has something on you, dude. Oh, and by the way, the MAGA voters will primary us, and that can be a headache come primary season. And I really like this government job, despite the fact that I don't like promoting government jobs for anybody unless it's me and my cronies. And by and large, they stay in power because of white nationalism and the Great Replacement Theory. It's that simple. It's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast, show notes at ronshowatl.com. And beginning Monday, the show starts airing 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. and then repeats 5 to 6 p.m. on American One Radio, AmericanOneRadio.com. Have a good one.